Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. The new Super Beats Heart Shoes Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. So what I had to learn was, how can I growth hack within these platforms? You can get eliminated off of them. You can be shadow banned on them. But at the end of the day, if you're in the kitchen and you're cutting an onion and it cuts you, are you going to stop cooking food? No, you have to cook food. You just have to learn how not to get cut again. For YouTube, I saw you guys start putting those clips in the beginning of EOIL, not just jumping into like the intro into the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's important because the mechanisms of that platform have changed. Now you have a video preview. So if people don't feel like they got that dopamine hit in that first couple of seconds, why even stay? You're listening to Earn Your Leisure with Troy and Rashad. My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> A mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. What's up, guys? Welcome back. This is uh, this is gonna be an interesting conversation for a variety of different reasons. But um, you know, people ask all the time, how do they get on your leisure? Like, what's the process? And uh, Usually, it is extremely difficult to get on Earn Your Leisure. You have to either know us or we know you or you get introduced to somebody. It's, yeah. not, it's not something that happens very often. Um, but every now and then, it's it's a little bit easier <laughs> for some people. So, not, um, their value add is high. Well, there's, 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 there's a valuable lesson here. You have to ask for what you want in life. So Dante Catlett. Um, he had, so he's a, he, one of the things that I've said before is that content creation, I think is probably one of the most valuable skills to learn in this era that we're in. It's extremely important, not only for yourself and your own personal brands, but to work with 
other corporations, other businesses, because being able to narrate a story properly online is vitally important to the survival of any business. And if you're not able to narrate the story for yourself, then you have to hire somebody that can narrate the story for you. So he uh, is a content creator. He works with brands um, from Meta to Jordan brand to Amazon, Red Bull, Coca-Cola, GQ, uh, Levi's, Adidas, Uggs, uh, Foot Locker, the list goes on. But what got my attention was he became a Instagram creator ambassador. Um, I'm not even sure what that is, but I'm going to ask. <laughs> but it sounds impressive. So he became an Instagram creative ambassador. And he had a post on Instagram announcing that he was an Instagram creative ambassador. I had saw his his stuff on social media before. Um, and, you know, he got a lot of people that was giving him congratulations, da 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 but he did something that was interesting. So in the, he wrote a whole caption. And then in the caption, it, it said, you know, something to the effect of um, Rashad, Troy, I'm waiting for my invitation to be on Earn Your Leisure. Well. <laughs> so people, some people was tagging me in it. So I'm like, all right, what's, what's going on here? So I sent it to AB and I said, yo, Ab, like, can you vet this guy out? Can you look into it and see exactly, you know, if he's qualified to come on? And he came back and he said, yeah, I think he is. Um, so He knew Ab. So <laughs> now we're here. So I, t- I wanted to tell that story because, like I said, there is some valuable points in that. Um, did I get it correct? Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, you asked to be on here and now you're on. I appreciate it. I've been yeah. watching you guys for a while now. I believe the first episode I watched was with John Henry. At the time, I was looking for uh, media distribution and understanding how to pitch to different companies and networks about getting picked up. So that was probably the first time I seen you guys. So I appreciate you guys having me. I want to let both of you know that what you've been doing for the community, for the world, the black community, teaching financial literacy, it is making a huge impact when I hop into barbershops, having conversations with people, whether they know you or not. I'm always putting people up on game like, look, go on there, go on the podcast, stop listening to the music. Tune on to earn your leisure. Thank you, brother. Shout out to Don. The gemmer too. Appreciate it. And, and he came with he he put that on today. <laughs> put that on today. He got he got he came with the fits, man, and the feats. So we appreciate that too. Fits and the feats, very important. <laughs> so let's get into this. Um, but I want to make sure that I give you you know proper introduction. So you're a video producer. You um do digital media coaching. You live in L.A. Um, and as I said, you worked at a variety of different brands. I believe you dropped out of college. That's right. College dropout. Proudly. Uh, proud college dropout. Proudly. So, all right. So where does this start um, as far as becoming a storyteller um, when it comes to, you know, creating digital works of arts and movies and production and different things of that nature? So like Rashad said, for the last 10 years, um, I've been working behind the scenes in the industry. So I'm a filmmaker. I'm a digital media coach and a digital media strategist, entrepreneur. And for the last 10 years, I've been working behind the scenes, consulting brands, businesses, entrepreneurs. And then 13 months ago, I decided to hop in front of the camera. When this all started was when I was eight years old. My parents bought a Sony Handycam. You guys remember those VHS cameras? Yes, sir. So my cousin and I, we would sneak into my parents' room knowing that it was a couple hundred dollars. And we would pick up the camera because they they wouldn't really pick it up. 
And we would recreate our favorite movies like The Matrix, Lord of the Rings, Don't Be a Menace. And we didn't have YouTube back Don't in the day. Or Don't TikTok. be a menace. Don't be a menace to society while drinking a juice in the hood. That, yeah, that yeah, yeah. That's, As an eight-year-old. <laughs> that was, that's, that's interesting for eight-year-olds. Do we have a problem here? <laughs> <laughs> Message. <laughs> yes. And in doing so, I think that's what really sparked my creativity as a video creator or a filmmaker. My parents were really big movie buffs, so I was always watching movies with them. And unfortunately, I, was, I have split parents. So my mom got separated with my dad when she was three years old. So I grew up with a Cambodian father, a Filipino mother, and a black father. So I was going from house to house during wintertime, summertime. So I was getting uh, all this different culture and different like influence of movies and music when I was when I was going around. Sounds like a buffet meal. Yeah. yeah. Hell of a buffet. So what is it again? Your, your mother's Cambodian. My mom's Filipino. Okay. My stepfather is Cambodian. And then my dad is black. Okay. Yeah. So Wait, where'd you grow up at? I grew up in uh, the Bay Area. I'm from San Francisco, California. Shout out to the Bay. Bay Area. Yeah, so the, you, as you know, there's a lot of culture just growing up, surrounded in the Bay Area. Um, it's very much like New York, public transportation heavy. You're constantly going from city to city. Uh, middle school, I did go to school in the Bay Area. And growing up, I think that the the hyphy movement is what really like influenced me. The hyphy E40, movement. E40, you was out, Sneak. You was out there dancing? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a turf dancer. Oh, man. I remember the hyphy movement was heavy. Oh. <laughs> Ha, hey, hey. <laughs> <Tell me to laughs> he still got it, y'all. He still got it. Go. Yeah, Tell Me When to Go was definitely a game changer. Mac Dre. And my best friend at the time, he was Mexican Salvadorian and he was a DJ. So all the quinceañeras, all the school dances, he would be the one spinning. I'm in his garage listening to all the records that he got and just like ab absorbing that. But it's ironic because I got into beatboxing when I was into middle school. Michael Winslow was a huge influence on me. Uh, Biz Marquis. Rest in peace. Yes. And I didn't really vibe with music. And when I say that, I couldn't really remember music artists. I remember the songs. Mm. I couldn't remember lyrics because mm. music hadn't touched me at that point in my life. It wasn't until I went to my first festival and that's when I really got like understood the effect it was Coachella. And I got- How, how is Coachella? I've, it's funny. We just had a conversation about that and- Somebody was telling me like um, that we need to go to Coachella just to experience it because it's it's the most respected musical festival in, in on earth and they 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 do it at the highest level possible. You said it ch changed you absolutely. How, talk about that a little bit. It was the first festival I ever been to, first concert, let alone right. And this was the year that Future performed. Miguel was out there. Migos sang Bad and Bougie four times. <laughs> I believe it was when Cardi B was out there when she was pregnant in the desert. Okay. Um, Drake had came out during Future Sets. It was a legendary, like, just overall experience. At the time, I wasn't a quote-unquote influencer, so you didn't get to experience the VIP because, like, what people say is, if you're an influencer person, you're not really at the concert, at the festival during the daytime. You don't come until the sun sets. You're at all the parties, right? right? So like Adidas would throw a party, Beyonce might be there or something like mm. that. Then you bounce to another party. Um, and then all the people would be in like the VIP section or, or what have you. But I would say that it's a festival that everybody should go out there and enjoy. Be prepared because you're gonna experience the high desert winds. Uh, it might be hella hot, it might be hella cold at nighttime. Do a lot of walking. But what people underestimate, especially since everything that happened in 2020 is you're surrounded by 100,000 plus people. I don't know how people feel about that, but when you're trying to move from stage to stage, that's wild. Mm. Mm. But definitely something you should go check out. Um, yeah, I definitely am. I'm interested. That's the second you time. Think you could do it? 
Well, we got to have the VIP experience. Yeah. See, he's not, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Just from, I, I, I know after a few hours, I know Shy going to be like, yo, bro, I got to sit down somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of standing, a lot of music. So let's talk about this. All right. So, so okay. So, so Coachella, then what happens after Coachella? We can go back a little bit because middle school and like high school is important. That didn't happen until I was like 23 years old. Okay. So middle school, I got my first camera. I upgraded the Sony Handycam. Now it's the digital thing. So I'm going around to different dance battles because that same cousin I grew up with, he became one of the, the top turf dancers in the world. Mm. And just overall like tutters, nobody can touch him. He's, he's undisputed in that realm. So we would go to different dance battles and I'd be the guy with the camera recording all of the footage, pulling some of the dancers to the side. And I think this is where uh, it, I really wanted to become a documentary filmmaker. Mm -hmm. and document everyone's journey, ask them questions. I started a series called Street Freaks, and I started talking to all the different street performers around San Francisco. People thought they were freaks, but they had real stories behind that. You got one-man band, you got tap, and they're telling me they're making a full-time living off of this, which is insane. Like, mm -hmm. six figures, just getting tips from people, and hey, I don't know, the IRS, you might have looked at that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the first documentary-style thing that I created. Fast forward a little bit into high school, and I'm still doing the same things now. I'm the vice president of the hip hop club. So, like, I was breakdancing, I was beatboxing, had a little bit of DJing, MCing in me. And I got, I upgraded the camera. And this was the first time I learned about licensing content and the importance of when you own something and somebody else wants it, the value of that. So, I recorded a prank video, April Fool's prank video, and it went, started going viral on YouTube. I took it down because break.com reached out to me. If you're not familiar, they're like E-Bombs World or World Star Hip Hop at that time. And they're like, we'll give you $1,000 for this video. I was like, $1,000 as a freshman in high school? I'll take that. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Sold. Sign me up. Sold. It's like, I can recreate another one of these. And with that money, I took and I bought my first DSLR camera. That was a Canon Rebel T3i. Flip out screen. Be able to change the lenses. That was a game changer. Yeah. Can you just tell people what the DSLR camera is? Absolutely. Because a lot of people who are not familiar with it, were like, what did you just say? <laughs> so a digital, uh, a DSLR is a digital single lens reflex camera, meaning that there's a mirror inside of it. It's a little bit more professional than your standard compact point and shoot camera. You can change lenses. You have more manual control over the camera. And to this day is what professionals use in the industry, whether you're recording a podcast, filming movies, documentaries, YouTubes. So, uh, so that, so then, so you develop a, a passion for just documenting things and filming mm -hmm. and, and you want to be a filmmaker, I would assume at this point. Yes. Mm -hmm. what, what are you doing with the content? Right? I, I, are you uploading everything at the time? Because YouTube is 2006. Mm -hmm. And so are you putting everything that you have up on YouTube or are you like finding places to store it to say like, I'm going to use this to create something bigger or larger scale later down the line? The era when we grew up, it was Zanga, MySpace. Tumblr, YouTube, and YouTube was the only video streaming right. platform and everything was like embedded to MySpace, to Tumblr. Nobody had like direct just upload a video other than YouTube. So we would upload it on every platform, share that link. We would host dance battles. So we were like, we're going to these battles and we're like, oh, it's missing something. Why don't we just host our own battle? We, we started this company called Waffle House Entertainment. 
We're going to put together the most legendary dance battle anyone's ever seen in the Bay Area. We got high quality video production and we got the world's best turf dancer. Let's bring the other best turf dancers in their own field and put together the battles that nobody's ever seen before. So on my birthday, we hosted a battle. Shout out to my parents who allowed us to have a dance battle in the garage with like 60 people. I live in a Filipino household, so we got boxes everywhere in the garage. <laughs> People were hanging off the top, but limited dance space. But it was dope. So, all right. Well, let's let's get into this conversation about social media because it's important. Now that we have some backstory, what is an IG creator ambassador? First of all, what what does that even mean? So, Instagram creator ambassadors is something that they recently just put together, and the extensive version of this is Instagram has a TikTok page. Ironically enough, they want to be, you know, where the attention is at. They want to show people that there's other creative ways to produce content on Instagram and give people game since Reels and TikTok are very similar. And what Instagram has found is that when you create a show, you don't want a hundred different faces come on on the show, right? Earn Your Leisure is Troy and Rashad. We don't want different hosts coming on it because then when people click on the YouTube, they're like, there's no familiarity. There's no relationship I have with them. So for seven days out of the week, every day is going to be a different host. So I'm one of the hosts on Tuesday. I upload content. And I teach people how to produce better videos. On TikTok. Yeah, that's that's my show. So um, I'm technically the host of that. I'll come up to different Instagram events and um, teach people within the community. Okay, dope. How'd you get connected with that? Instagram had reached out to me. And it's crazy because I've actually never told the story. My girlfriend, uh, she's a fashion content creator. And she actually worked with Instagram prior to that. And I was like, man, I'm producing all this content. I'm thinking about how can I like grow, grow quicker? Because quick growth can be detrimental to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But since I've done this a bunch of times for other people, I'm thinking in my head, like, I don't want to take five years to get there. I want to get there in 12 months because I've seen that as possible. And we have limited time here now that I'm 30 years old. So I, I reached out now to you're somebody. 30, it's yeah. almost over. <laughs> Clock stop. Yeah. All downhill from there. Yes. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> so I went into her emails and I was like, she worked with Instagram before. Let me reach out to some people and send a piece of content that was going viral at the time, which was teaching people how to identify trending audio on Instagram Reels. And that was powerful, man. That little arrow at the bottom of your Reels tick. Instagram didn't have a trending section. TikTok did, but nobody was making content about that. So I said, like, let me just put it out. And it was like on the back burner for months. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't know if I was the right time. I don't know how people are going to like think about this because I only put out video tips. So I put it out. It gets like over 2.5 million views. I send it over to some of the Instagram contacts. Then like a month goes by, somebody hops into my emails like, hey, Dante, we'd love for you to produce a video for the Instagram creators page. So I planted that seed, waited for it to grow, and then that's that's what ended up happening. There's a there's a lot there, um, and especially you know coming from the background you said of film creation to now creating, I guess, short form content. What was that like, right? Because obviously when you're doing the documentaries and you're shooting people, that's expensive. Whereas now it's like I have to scale back and really get impact as many people as possible in a short amount of time. Yep. What, what's that process like for you? So it's versus creating long form content, right. the short form content. Yeah. Doing it for 10 years, there's a lot of ups and downs. You learn how to produce music videos, you do weddings, because as an entrepreneur, you do 
almost anything to make money, right? You don't want to go back to the nine to five. This was my full-time gig, like on and off for a year. Then I went back to retail, then did it again for three years. So it was understanding that this was going to be the future of how brands communicated their products to the world. So for me, I was wanting to like provide value back to the community, um, like going backwards a little bit, because I feel like that's important to add that into the story. Mm-hmm is um, I started a multimedia company after, and it was called Loaded Up Entertainment. So this was a cannabis entertainment network that we started. I looked at the space because I, again, like I said, I produced music videos and I was directing music videos. When I'm in the studio, what's everybody doing other than making music? They're smoking weed. So yeah, because of that, I'm in the rotation. I'm like, damn, I gotta kind of put respect on this because I'm in the room with some legendary <laughs> people. So I start experiencing things in a different way. I'm understanding the benefits that cannabis has what I'm noticing is I'm on my phone going from Worldstar to Twitter to Instagram, just trying to find something entertaining to watch. Why can't I just sit back, relax, press play, and then just it just keeps rolling, kind of like an MTV or a VH1. So I go to YouTube to do some market research. At the time, you had the Dr. Green Thumb show. So that's uh, Be Real. He had his thing going. Mm-hmm. And then you have weed tubers, which are content creators in the weed space. There was no show around weed. Nobody was doing anything like that. So I came up with like a a one month plan and I said, you know, I'm going to write down all these different ideas. When I was working at retail, I had a piece of paper folded in my jacket pocket. Whenever I have a new idea, I'm writing it down. Whenever I'm on my lunch break or my break, I'm going on the internet. I'm reading articles about it because I have to not only make my girlfriend a believer about this, that, hey, I'm going to quit my job and start a YouTube channel about cannabis. So we went from uploading uh, weekly content to bi-weekly content to daily content because it was just, the community was growing rapidly, similar to what I'm sure you guys saw, Mm -hmm. right? And I had to not only be the director, editor, producer, I had to wear all the hats. I had to be uh, the sales guy, the marketing guy, I had to learn social media because if this is what I was so passionate about and helping people and hearing everyone in the comments saying like, yo man, you helped me from suicide. Like I, I really didn't know this was happening in Cali. We're in the epicenter of everything that's going on in cannabis. At the time, Cali had just became recreationally legalized. So you imagine this is at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And um, we're basically documenting this culture as it's evolving. So strain reviews, product reviews, skits, just anything that it'd be like edutainment to people. That's what I wanted to put out there because I didn't look at cannabis as like other people did where they saw it as a vice. I saw it as a device where it could enable you to be more patient, creative, um, and all these different things that ailments that it was helping people with. All right. So let's get into this. Let's try to help people master social media. So let's talk about it. So what are the do's and don'ts of social media? Let's start there. Oh, this is a good one. The do's and don'ts of social media. Is there any platform specific you want to talk about? Uh, let's do Instagram and TikTok. because I think those are the most important uh, platforms okay. right now, currently. The thing you want to look at social media is you go from uploading trendy dance videos mm-hmm. to actually building a brand. So when you're building a brand, what I like to tell people is don't take five years to do something when you can do it in 12 months. And let me build a guide for you so that you don't make the same mistakes that most beginner content creators do. So when you do set up a page, you want to make sure that it's optimized. When you create a new page, people will post one picture. They'll promote it to their friends and family members and go, I didn't get any engagement. My journey's over now. You want to make sure that you upload that page and optimize it with at least 12 posts. So that way, if one of those things goes viral, 
people are landing on and go, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to get out of this. This guy's a filmmaker. He's an entrepreneur and he's going to teach me stuff about social media. He's going to teach me stuff about video content creation. So don't leave your page blank. How about, and this is something that a lot of people struggle with. They'll start something and they might be doing it consistently for about two months and they're like, there's no growth. What are some ways to grow your page? You have to look at social media and be very patient with it because a lot can change for you in 12 months. It is a huge mental battle. And I will say people have to have belief when jumping into something. If you're going to be passionate about social media, that's what you have to treat it as, like a business owner almost, right? You have to believe wholeheartedly, see this through because you know there's going to be those, those rainy days for you. And if you don't have that patience when you're going into like social media, then that can be like the mental battle can mess you up. To answer your question, Troy, you were saying growth hacks. The growth. The growth hacks. So getting into social media, you might be like, okay, two months, I uploaded some content. It's not working. You got to step back and identify what you are, what you're putting out there. Maybe your hook's wrong. Maybe your call to action's off. You're not engaging with other people that's within your community. So let's say your, your niche is business and finance. You want to follow about eight to 10 people that you look up to within there. So whenever they post something, you're in the comments leaving something valuable, not only for that person, but for the entire community. Because when they click on your page, now they're going to be, oh, this guy also talks about business and finance, mm -hmm. but in a different way. That's a really great growth hack. Another growth hack is we now have the ability to like on stories on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So you can go into other people's followers you can go into their recent posts and their likes, and you'll see people's bubbles, their icons and avatars that are lit up, that they have a story. Go on their story and like it. Because now they're going to be, who the heck is this guy liking my stories? They're going to jump into your page, click the first video, and if it's valuable, you got a new follower. You got a new supporter for life. Very important what you just said. The first one, you ever heard of a guy at Wall Street Trapper? Mm -hmm. So that's how he, when before we met him, we put him on a show and it, it really helped grow his, his situation a lot. But he was trying to get our attention. And um, when he first started his page, and he used to comment, he used to go in the comments and just write. Not really like being combative, but, you know, he might have a different point of view. Or, you know, he might want to add a little bit more value to the situation. Or it's like, well, this is another way to look at it. It's like, you know, something like that. And he would do that consistently. And I'm like, well, who's this writing in the comments all the time? Like, you know what I mean? So I, I was familiar. So when he introduced himself to me in person, I was already familiar with him from writing in the comments. And he had later on said that was one of his strategies where he would, he think he did it for a few different pages. And like, that's what he was doing to try to get people to recognize him. But it also helped us recognize him. That's right. Because it's like, if you, if you pay attention to your page, you start to notice it's like a local pub. You notice the people that come to the bar every day mm -hmm. if you're the bar owner, right? So now it's like if you if you have somebody that's constantly commenting every single day, it's like a community. Like you know who they are. They stand out to you. So that's definitely something that's beneficial. And I've seen it work firsthand. And liking the stories is interesting because that's another thing that is – because if you have like let's say 2,000 people that view your story and you have 10 people that like the story mm – -hmm then you might like it and to see like, okay, who is this person that like my story? Stand out. And that happens a lot, especially when it's people of the opposite sex. That's true. It's like, who's this girl that like my story? Like, you know what I'm saying? Let me check her page out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, so it's just like, what you just said, that definitely happens in real life. And um, 
I never thought about liking a story as a way to get people's attention for business, but it's beneficial. And I can see how that could how that can work. Um, so that was actually extremely valuable information. So let me ask you this. Captions. How important is it writing captions? What kind of captions should you write? What's the do's and don'ts with writing captions on, on your post? As humans, we're naturally curious. And with that curiosity, if you watch a movie, you'll notice how the directors will purposely have certain subjects in focus. When they did the Avengers movie, when everybody was jumping out of that bubble and you're like, okay, you got Black Panther coming out and Wakanda and you got, there was a lot going on, but you could focus on what was happening. So the do's and don'ts of writing captions are make sure that you they're easy to read and make sure they're not too fast. I like to think of a, a caption as like a title. Like, let's just say, for example, it's three three tips for growing your Instagram page. It's a speed bump. When somebody's scrolling down, you're going to see uh, some surfer surfing. You're going to see somebody posing, doing some fashion video. And then you're going to get to, like, uh, some actual educational content. And because there's text, now we have to stop because it's so big and we have to read it. So for people who are just jumping right into it and just putting captions on there, it is important because they say 90% of people don't actually listen to what's going on. Yeah, that's but, crazy. But that differs from platform to platform. How often is somebody opening TikTok on the train and not like listening to what's going on? It's usually Instagram because it's a picture app. They do have videos on there, but you're really on there because you're like, okay, I'm gonna check in to see what my friends are doing. The stories, you don't need audio. But with TikTok, I've never, I've hardly seen people watching a TikTok without the audio. So the captions, I wanna stay on this caption point before we move on. So there's two parts to captions though, right? There's captions on the video, mm -hmm. but then there's captions, captions. Yeah. So the video captions are extremely important because that's a headline for like an article, right? Yep. Like it tells you what you're, what you're, it, some people think that it messes up the aesthetic. It probably does, but it's like, what's more important? Do you want to be super artsy and have a great aesthetic or do you want people to watch your video? Mm -hmm. But how important is it for the caption in the actual caption part of it? Like writing like the caption. Right now in 2023, it's critical because SEO. Now platforms like TikTok, Instagram's even getting there as well. Search engine optimization isn't just for the dot-coms and for YouTubes of the world. If you go into TikTok, it's really smart. If I'm looking for a song, but I don't remember the lyrics or the title, I can just put in, what's that song that goes dun, 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 and it'll show it. That's crazy. <laughs> or I can go, what are the best uh, restaurants in Vegas? And now I'm like, okay, instead of going through these articles with ads, TikTok is spitting out exactly what I need. So, Hoy, so the search engine optimization is now utilizing social media captions? Absolutely. On Google? Google, yes, and that's like metadata. So if you're building a brand and you have a website and a couple of social media pages, after a few months, it'll pick up on those captions that you're writing. So if somebody's searching it and it's a very niche-specific topic, it can show up on Google, but more importantly, internally, natively into those apps. So if Instagram, if in my caption, I'm putting three tips for filmmakers and I go into the search bar of Instagram and I put tips for filmmakers, the hashtag is no longer just the only thing that you can like identify with that video, like that, that unique indicator. It now will spit out those videos. It's using keywords. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's yeah. a very beneficial thing to know. And because even like my son, like TikTok is, is a search engine pretty much at this point. Yeah. All these kids, everybody, they're finding restaurants, they're finding new things from TikTok. Mm -hmm. It's becoming Google. So that would make sense that I wasn't aware of that, that, that um, keywords are part of how they're actually 
spitting out recommendations. What's even crazier than that is you can go into Instagram and there's a setting. Once you make a post, there's three dots you can press and or it's like advanced settings. They always change the wording or where they put stuff. Yeah. But you can add in metadata tags to it as well. It's in Instagram? Yep. Metadata tags? Mm -hmm. that, so that's the part, like I'm talking about what you, like you just said passion, right? And so one of the things is like, when you're passionate about it, you got to study it every day and learn from it every day. So my thing is like the average person, right? Where are they going to go to do that research or find that metadata or find, you know, things that they can help optimize the performance of their posts, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not just everyday information. And the challenge is that every day, maybe every week, it changes. That's right. So where, where would, you, would you go to even find the data to research and to stay up to date with it? First of all, I have to say to a lot of people that are listening, most people that are listening to Earn Your Leisure, they want to make a huge difference in their lives. They want right. to make a change. But it really starts with our daily habits. Most people won't go out to do that search. You look at our parents, they had to walk to the library with typewriters to do research. You can just pick up a phone. You can ask Siri, hey, you know, what is social media? You can learn at least one new thing a day within the span of five minutes. And in that five-minute video, you might get 30 little nuggets you never knew about. So... What I would tell people is pick up your phone, go on Google, go on YouTube and not TikTok. That it's not that complicated. <laughs> yeah. Go to and YouTube. <laughs> type in like, what is social media? Mm -hmm. If there's something you've heard and you're like, what's evergreen content? What's search engine optimization? Right. Now you take, write in your notes. Okay, I'm going to need research about this now. And everyone learns different. Like I was never a school type guy. Like I was a DNF student, but I was a visual learner. And that's important for people because... Whoever you're listening to, you're getting your information from, first, make sure they're credible. Second, make sure that the teaching skills speaks to you. People like simplified and not complicated ways of explaining things. What is, so what is metadata tag? What, what exactly is that? It's how the internet reads a post. So it just adds extra information into there, right? So you'll look at when you write a blog post on Squarespace or WordPress or even a YouTube video, adding your tags is metadata. It's basically how search engine technology and algorithms can rank the discoverability of your posts. Speaking of blogs, is it still beneficial to write blogs? Years ago, blogs was extremely beneficial. Mm -hmm. And then social media kind of took over and social media be kind of, is a blog at, at yes. a point in time. So is it still beneficial for people to start a blog? It depends on what your goals are. A blog can be Incredible. Like I said, make sure you secure your domain name. So DanteCatlid.com is something I wanted to secure. Whether or not I wanted to turn it into a blog, it's now my lead landing page because Google will rank it over time. So if somebody writes an article about me and they plug my website into there, it's going to direct them back to my website. Now, blogs can be another stream of revenue for you. You can write it. And now when people search up this term on Google, maybe an older demographic will come across your blog. And people do enjoy reading. And I don't think there's been a time where it's been cheaper to get stuff written on a blog because you can go on platforms like Fiverr or Upwork or use ChatGPT, which I haven't used yet. So don't <laughs> quote me on that one to write an article for you because that is controversial. So go to Fiverr or Upwork. You could hire a kid in the Philippines to write you 30 articles a month for less than $1,500. And then it's like, let's say you have your content strategy out. You're like, okay, here's our 30 videos we're going to drop for the month. We're going to have a YouTube video for that topic. We're going to have an Instagram video, but it's going to be syndicated to TikTok and Pinterest and Facebook and all these other platforms. But now let's go a step further and have a blog written about it. So when you click on the blog, 
just ways for you to make money. You can monetize and offer that as a value proposition to brand partners, or you can make affiliate marketing off of that. Yeah, I was gonna, that was the next thing I wanted to get to is, is the monetizing, understanding when the right time is and how you're selecting your brand partnerships. What are your tips for that? When you're looking at brands to partner with, you have to make sure that it speaks to you. You wanna make sure that it's products that you already organically use and it's brands that you stand by. Your audience will know if it's, if it's not relatable to you. The reason why I laughed is because I see a lot of people getting partnered with like mental health awareness apps, but they've never spoke about mental health awareness. And it's like, why are you taking this brand deal and then post it? And then you're going to make something about like, I don't know, like let's say a room stand and then a monthly subscription about men's perfumes or something. Now your audience can't trust you because you're trying to sell them on something all the time. A brand partnership is important because you want to partner with a brand who's open to your ideas, not just, hey, here's our media deck. Here's exactly what we want you to say. Here's the script. You have no say so to change anything, but here's a bag for you versus, hey, Dante, we love your content. We'd love to get your idea on, um, let's say, like your, your educational tips. We really love that. And we'd love to see how we can incorporate that around whatever product or event that we're, that we're promoting. Now that's a real partnership. Now we're meeting halfway. Everyone's excited about getting the job done. And now I passionately, I, I'm more passionate about bringing this project to life. So, okay. So back to the blog. So the blog, in a sense, what exactly is a blog? I always wondered this. It's just you're writing articles every day, right? Correct. That's a blog. A blog has changed and evolved with technology. So before a blog was... I'm going to write my thoughts about things and it's different for everybody. Some people is like, this is going to be my digital diary, or this is going to be a space for my health and wellness business that I'm running. And I'm going to put tips here for people. As the internet evolved, people got savvy on how I can optimize these and make and how I can monetize these channels. So now it's like every post I put up, if you go and you go to any website, whether it's an article you're reading or a blog post, you can get all these bumper ads you're going to get a video ad. You're going to get like Amazon affiliate links. And I don't think that's the right way to run a blog because now people have this bad taste in their mouth when they come there. Make it, you know, clean, clear, and put out the value that you want to. There's ways to like monetize around it. But because YouTube is different, because now there's TikTok and Instagram, there's new widgets and new like widgets that you can add onto the website that you couldn't before in like the early 2000s. So, I feel like the, the blog space, it used to be a way to, to cultivate an audience. People yeah. gravitate toward the re, what the person was writing. And I'm listening to you now and I'm hearing you, uh, you've had a bunch of brands, right? And so how does that work for you from that transition of creating new brands, but having to cultivate maybe a new audience or are you carrying the audience that you had over to these new type of ventures that you started? I've actually is rare. Only a few people come from the brands that I started before because I was behind the scenes. A lot of people didn't know unless you were on set or like you talked to somebody and was like, who was doing this? Mm -hmm. So for the longest time we had like people wondering like, oh, this guy looks like this. He's got glasses and he's, you know, this, this age or whatever. <laughs> Some people were spot on, but cultivating a new audience, I don't want to say is easy because that might go over people's head, but as long as you're providing value consistently, People will follow you. They will find out about you. It'll have that snowball effect, right? We often see in a cartoon that snowball starting from like very small baseball size and then ending up the size of like an Indiana Jones boulder mm -hmm. coming down the hill. And that is that snowball effect of consistency that you have. 
there's so much white noise out there and everybody is fighting for attention in this world that we have now since everybody's like, oh, I want to be a content creator. I want to be an influencer. More people are uploading new videos every single day. So it's extremely competitive. In 2020, you could get to a million followers in three months on TikTok. Now it'll take you a whole year, maybe, maybe less. It really depends how viral it goes. It really depends what you look like. It depends what value you're bringing for the people. What's a call? What's a call to action, and how important are call to actions? A call to action or a CTA is something that you usually add within the. It can be the beginning, but mostly it's in the middle or the end of the piece of content, and it's an action that you call people to. So let's say you guys are throwing together Invest Fest. If you guys don't know what Invest Fest is, you should go to the next one. That's a fact. <laughs> they might be at the end of this podcast, it might be a call to action saying like, hey, earners, listen up. You guys need to come out to the next Invest Fest. And that is a call to action. It's getting people to go towards something. It might be, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe because when people are watching, they often forget. We get free content all the time and not everybody likes, not everybody comments, not everybody shares. But if you add that towards the end of the video, the percentage of people that actually do those things that you say will increase had you not said them. Can, can, can you talk about, and this is this is one of those things that is a fine balance, the, the process of, documenting versus creating, mm. right? Because I feel like people will document the process. Shout out to my, my boy, Matty J, documenting the process, but then trying to create content around the documentation of that process, or should we separate them, right? Can you? Not everybody has the capacity to be a content creator. So if I told somebody to document and create, that might be overwhelming for them, and maybe they don't have two cameras or the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Maybe they don't have two phones to even do that. But a lot of people, what I hear them say is, I want to get into content creation or I really love gaming. I really love shoes, but I don't know where to start. I said, just keep doing what you're doing. Whenever you get a new shoe, take a photo of it, take a video and record how you feel about it. Don't even post it online. Just put it into the archive. And then you can post it later when you build up the confidence because you have to have that confidence. You have to have that belief to even have like let go of that fear first to start posting on social media. So that's why I tell people to document the journey because imagine if we were able to see Spielberg's come up, Walt Disney's come up when he was documenting all of that stuff. We did a little bit, but not as much as you can today. Mm -hmm. You never know who is that next Walt Disney. So that's why I tell people to document the process. And for me, 
I can always recycle my content. People think they need to constantly produce 30 pieces of content every single month. That's not true. I'll pull content from a year ago and I'll be like, ooh, my hook was off. The song got removed. It wasn't as popping. My edits were too fast. Now I can remake it or I can take those clips and now I can put it into a compilation. I can put it into a blog, a how-to, three tips. And people often don't know that because unless your post has a billion views, which is how many users are actively on these platforms, then you didn't do your job. When you watch a movie trailer, how many times do you see it in every movie you go to or when you see like a movie poster? Because that's what marketing is. They haven't done their job. They have to make sure they maximize the amount of time to, to get that ROI. So the importance of, of the hook. Talk about that. The hook is extremely important because we our attention spans are the size of peas now, thanks to Vine, thanks to TikTok, and thanks to just the ability to keep swiping. It's just become a psychological mechanism that's like in, embedded into our brains to just keep doing. And you can put out the, the best piece of content ever. It could be the one piece of content that changes your life. It goes completely viral. But if that first two seconds does not pull somebody in, then you might be discouraged to not even post again. Or you might think that that concept was trash, but your hook might be off. So the hook is the beginning part of the video. Correct. What's, how do you have a good hook? A good hook can be different depending on your niche. What I would tell people is whatever type of video you're creating, go into the hashtags, go on TikTok and type that video in and just observe how your attention is being grabbed by these videos. It might be a text bumper that says something. For me, what I had to realize was I kept filming these tips of me uh, showing the behind the scenes process and then showing what the results look like on my iPhone. But it wasn't, it wasn't getting the amount of attention that I feel like it could have. So I changed my hook. The format of your video is what could be messing you up. So now I figured out this editing trick where it looks like I'm the flash and I'm running in and I have text popping up. On the, home page, on the home feed, that catches your attention. But on the explore page, when you have this gallery that's stretched out and now you have these vertical videos competing with photo collages, I'm going to get hooked by that video every single time. And that's why the hook is extremely important on that platform. For YouTube, I saw you guys start putting those clips in the beginning of EOIL, not just jumping into like the intro into the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's important because the mechanisms of that platform have changed. Now you have a video preview. So if people don't feel like they got that dopamine hit in that first couple of seconds, why even stay? There's so much, there's so much other content I can consume. Dante has been watching us very closely. <laughs> Shout out to you. So really quickly, you talked about recycling content. And so from a creator standpoint, when we're doing that, which is, is, a, is a good strategy, if we're looking at the platforms, YouTube, uh, Shorts, Instagram Reels, are we recycling them and making them exactly the same or are we changing some differenti differentiation inside of the video formatting or like the scale of it for each platform when we're trying to recycle? Unfortunately, you do have to change it because how that person's consuming content the psychological mechanisms of them like swiping or clicking on that video are different for Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. If you look at YouTube, the most viewed videos are usually podcast clips that people take. So that should tell you that people really care about you seeing um, audio and text. Now for Instagram, it might be different. It might be more visual because again, people don't listen to the actual audio portion of that. And then for TikTok, the the way you hook people in it, it is different mm. so what about niche pages niche pages 
for personal brands or either, either or okay people often say that you have to pick one niche and you have to stick with it there was truth in that before but now because of tiktok people care more about who you are as a person how can they connect with you if they're going to invest their time in following you on your journey you're going to constantly provide value for them people want to see that you're a funny person you know they don't want to just see a talking head on the screen and not know nothing about you now we're talking about niche pages here's another growth hacking tip never told anybody about this so this is a huge gem so part of my growth hacking strategy of what i've done so are you guys familiar with raw rolling papers rolling papers yeah like, like raw the, raw, rolling raw papers, yeah though. yeah what's the difference between raw and regular Oh, raw is like the company you see all the, the oh, company raw, the raw, raw the company raw they got the, the white paper no i don't smoke so i don't know okay no worries um i know some people okay yeah. <laughs> so raw raw rolling papers is the world's biggest rolling paper company and the hbi is their distribution company uh josh kessman who is the founder of raw rolling papers his social media output wasn't doing the best that it possibly could but i was like you're putting out great content but dude, you have hundreds of products. Just make educational videos about them. Put that out there. So when I was running Loaded Up, we actually, this is why I have a love and hate relationship with social media. We got deleted off of Instagram six times at 100,000 followers. I got us to 100,000 followers in 12 months, did it again in eight months, did it again in six months, did it again in three months. And then we got deleted off of YouTube at 300,000 subscribers. Because and this is the day before 420, we were both we were supposed to have a, a launch. And yeah. that was because of Logan Paul doing that thing in the forest and everybody's channels got um demonetized. What are you doing in the forest? He went and recorded in this Japanese suicide forest. And he was doing just stupid things in 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 Japan. He was being super disrespectful to the culture, and that initially got him canceled. But when he did that, YouTube CEO had to look at it and go, we can't allow content like this to come through the pipeline. So if you had videos up for 10 years, like people like PewDiePie, he was the number one YouTuber in the world, but because he dropped so many F-bombs, that's the reason why you can't cuss on YouTube anymore. He played so many video games that had gore and blood in it. All of those videos with millions of views got instantly demonetized, age-restricted, and he was no longer to make money on those. Um, so what I had to learn was, how can I growth hack within these platforms? You can get eliminated off of them. You can be shadow banned on them. But mm. at the end of the day, if you're in the kitchen and you're cutting an onion and it cuts you, are you going to stop cooking food? No, you have to cook food. You just have to learn how not to get cut again. Mm. So what I had to learn was, okay, how can we bounce back off of these platforms? We have this catalog of amazing content and it's went viral one time. Let me try and see if it can go viral again. So I would repost all of those videos again. And this goes back to what you asked me. Like if it didn't reach a billion people, keep reposting that hot content because when the algorithm is jumping, you have to take advantage of that growth period to be able to grow quicker and reach more people. Cause that's the name of the game, right? And what I realized in doing that was when I started repo repurposing this content, it was popping on my page. But what people don't know is that the algorithm only points to a certain amount of people, only points to a certain territory. Like if they know you're an American page, it's gonna point you towards American people. You go on TikTok and you ever see Indian creators, other nationalities in Europe, France, speaking different languages? No, because the algorithm knows that's not what you want. So when I go to other pages, I look at niche accounts. So in the cannabis community, you have like at weed, at cannabis, whatever for finance, it might be at wealth, at business, at business insider and on all these different platforms. You'll reach out to them and you'll go, they repost a lot of content, but you're not reposting my content. 
you look at their pages and they've got millions of followers, hundreds of thousands of followers, and they get pretty good engagement. Now, the vetting process for this is looking at the page and identifying, are your likes, comments real? Are the real people in there? It's pretty easy to look at. You guys get the same amount of likes every time you post in a matter of seconds, and it's the same generic people commenting in there. Part of the strategy is these page owners are from Russia, India, France, maybe even the US, and it could be a 16-year-old kid with a phone who's charging $25 a post to be able to be reposted on their page. Could be $10, could be 100 bucks, whatever they feel like is fit for that. So what I did was I DM'd every single brand. Hey, my name's Dante. How much, what's your rate for reposting content? They'd be like 10 bucks, 25 a post. They'll be like, we can do three for 100 or whatever. I'll go into a spreadsheet. I'd write down all of these different brands and what their following count was, what their engagement was, and how much they were charging. And from there, I would use that data and I get to negotiate with them. I go, hey, this page charging this much. How can we do this deal? Can I do 10 posts for 100 bucks? And they'll want the money. You'll send the PayPal and you'll be like, it has to convert to rupees. And it's like, all right, let's get this going. Let's see what happens. So when I get to post it on their page, not only is it going viral on mine, but it's also going viral on their accounts as well. It's getting over 100,000 views, millions of views. And I tell them, make sure on the first part of the caption, you put follow loaded up, follow Dante Catlett. And this was part of my strategy to growth hack my page. When I identified videos that went viral on my personal brand, I reached out to brands or niche pages that focus on putting out content for video content creation for filmmakers and photographers. So they were doing it for that low though? Absolutely. And this was this was just regular video content creation pages. Yep. Yeah. The international player. So you can go on Instagram and what you do, and I haven't tried this on TikTok yet, but on Instagram, you can go into a hashtag, like let's type in shot on iPhone or mobile only, and you'll see reels or top posts. Click on them. Most likely it's a niche page. Go on their page. And next to follow and contact and email, there's this little drop down arrow. And it'll give you related pages that are within that niche again. And just do that process over and over again. Go into pages, hit the drop down arrow, type in a different hashtag and do it again. Now you have a catalog of pages and now you can DM them, just copy and paste the same thing. How much are you charging for this? Such and such. So when I, going back to the story with Josh from Raw, he was stuck at 400,000 followers. We got him to a million followers in three months. Damn. Because we identified which content was popping off and we just put our, you know, foot on the gas. Another that's another thing that Wall Street Trapper did. Um, so when he did our interview, what he did was he took um clips from like social media clips that we posted, or he might have made some clips for himself, or whatever, and then he paid influencers to repost those clips. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, from Wall Street Trap or whatever. He did that with different blog pages and and individual people as well that had followings mm -hmm. and um yeah that's how gary v grew his page to mm -hmm. followers if you look you'd be like why is gary v on slam why is he on puberty why is he on meme pages and stuff like that it's because he was just growth hacking identify what the viral content was and he knew he wanted to scale his personal brand and his engagement might not be 10 million views every post but for the majority average, each one is going over a million views. But it was like, how can you take advantage of that small period of time you have? Because platforms change so rapidly. That's why I tell people don't do it in, don't wait five years, do it in 12 months. Because as long as you can continuously produce the high quality content, if one pops off and you're like, oh, I did this right, follow that exact format that you did to get there. 
take those videos and now reach out and have them distributed. It's no different than you look at like an IP like Simpsons. They've been around forever, but they jump from platform to platform. Same thing with Family Guy. They started off on Cartoon Network or Adult Swim. Then they went to TBS and they went to Fox and they went to Disney Plus or Netflix. And you're like, dang, why, why are so many people so interested in this? Is because they're finding ways that they can monetize their old content. It's syndication. That's mm -hmm. like one gem that I learned when I was trying to figure out how to get... Um, how to get like to work with Netflix or how to pitch to networks. I learned the word syndication. I, I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, let me syndicate my content to another platform and it'll still get millions of views or, because it's done. Or you can, syndicate, you can syndicate it to the same platform. Yep. Yeah. Like if you have a, a clip on YouTube three years ago that got 5,000 views, odds are there's a bunch of people that have never seen that before. So now you might have way more followers or way more subscribers now so you can just take that clip, maybe change the thumbnail, mm -hmm. add a different title, and put it on YouTube again. Yep, and it'll make a bigger splash because you got a bigger audience. Yeah, the syndication play. The first time I ever heard about it, I started seeing the, the wealthiest people on TV. And every year I kept seeing Jerry Seinfeld. Mm. I'm like, how is Seinfeld <laughs> making money every year if his show ended in 97? Right. But he syndicated it to different networks. Then he started syndicating it internationally. And then now it's like, there's going to be a bidding war for like, who can now have them on the streaming yeah, yeah. service? And so it's the same content, just repurposed, obviously from yep. syndication. And yeah. I, I'm sure you guys learned, like that's why you want to produce it at a higher quality now, because it's like, I can take that and move it somewhere else. But what I'm realizing is when I'm shooting my content, I don't want to shoot anything with any branded logos unless it's paid for, not because I don't want to promote other people's brands, but if I go to license that content, they're going to be like, oh, can you blur this logo out? We can't use that video because it has such and such logos. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just in a black tee, black pants, and now I can license that content out, edu educational stuff to other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can, can we get into the gaming? Because we had the conversation yeah. and I had never thought of this and, and, and I'm glad you brought it up. So when we talk about gaming, obviously a big industry, obviously, you know, kids are gaming, but they're YouTubing what they're playing, right? Mm -hmm. So Twitch becomes a major platform in that space. But when we were talking about the games we grew up on, the Mortal Kombat, some of the violent games, mm. they're less likely to be put up on YouTube now because of the gore and the violence. And so that kind of shapes the way that a video game company might actually decide to put out uh, or distribute a game that has such things. And so I'm looking at the space now, and I know some of those popular games, the Grand Theft Autos, the Call of Duties. Mm -hmm. Do you think because of the violence that is attached to them, the strategy might change for Twitch? Or how does that work? Because, I mean, obviously people watch it on YouTube. If YouTube's going to start demonetizing for violence and demonetizing for language, how does that affect the industry? I believe the video game companies now get affected the most because they have to figure it out. So when we said Mortal Kombat 11 came out, a week later, they had to drop the price point by 20% because they didn't do the projected sales that they wanted. Because how this conversation came up, Troy was like, yo, I'm, I'm raw. I'm nice at Pokemon Pinball at Mario Kart. These I things, said, okay. All these things are all true. <laughs> <laughs> then we started getting to the games that we grew up on. We brought up Call of Duty and, co and competitive sports. And I said, do you know why most YouTubers only stream Fortnite and Minecraft and Roblox and why they've been at the top for the last five plus years? It's because they don't show any gore or violence. If you think about it, Fortnite is guns, but what happens when you shoot a character? Digital stuff comes out them. They just, they like, they teleport somewhere. They don't like blow up or they blood splatters everywhere like yeah. Call of Duty. No teabagging in that. None of that. <laughs> <laughs> so with Call of Duty, it's like on a competitive level and for Twitch, it'll still do great. 
And I do believe that they've solidified themselves as that game because they have those tournaments in place to have people still want to play those games. If Mortal Kombat or any video games of that nature want to do that, I believe they have to take some of that money that they're making, the revenue, because it's a lot, and put it towards a prize pool so that more community players can, can get involved. But will it be the thing that people talk about on YouTube? No. Grand Theft Auto, I believe, has such a cult following. And because they had like all these mods that people can play on, right. that it it won't go anywhere. But if we look at like history and how it repeats itself, we can't think that we are not going to get censored at some point, even on Twitch. Like right now, you can do it on Twitch. But is there a possibility for one gamer to take it too far that the entire platform gets censored, just like what happened with YouTube because of Logan Paul? Mm. So Logan Paul, the reason why they start censoring YouTube? Yes. Interesting. They called it the ad apocalypse because advertisers were like, wait a minute, we're advertising our stuff on his his platform. That's making our brand look bad. And now because YouTube wanted to please those advertisers, they're like, okay, well, let's do this quick fix. Let's just use a AI and an algorithm to cipher through everybody's content. And you just wake up one day. Imagine like with Loaded Up, we woke up and 450 videos were all age-restricted, demonetized. Whenever we uploaded a video, people were not getting their notifications. Subscribers weren't getting their notifications. You got a shot over here. Yeah. Because it was weed? Correct, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about you working with brands, right? Because like I said, you worked with a variety of different brands from Meta to Jordan to Amazon to Red Bull, Coca-Cola. This is Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies. How, what, what, how'd you do it? And what's the value add that you get? Like, what's the, what are you selling them? What do you, cause you know, like I said, this, these are some of the biggest companies in the world. So how'd that go about? So when I dropped out of college, my instructors told me I wouldn't be anything without this piece of paper in the industry. And this was at a time where YouTube and Vine, like Vine had just been created. So there was this rise of DSLR creators and the internet was taking this huge shift in the digital landscape. And I was like, $80,000 that I'm going to be paying to go here. And I'm basically going to be networking with these kids in my class to create a production company. I could just use that money and go buy some equipment and start this production company now and see what happens. So at that moment, I was doing music videos, weddings, engagements, all this stuff. until so I came across one creator by the name of Ronnie Banks, and I was helping manage his content strategy on YouTube. He had just got hit up to do a brand deal with Coca-Cola. This was like 2013. So a brand deal and the word influencer, I feel like these references were just being coined at this moment in time. So for me as a college dropout to be working with one of the most biggest companies in the world on a, on a project that they're paying for on the internet, that sounded impossible in my head at first. And a, and a, a switch flipped in my head where I said, this is going to be the future of how brands communicate their products with the world. So that's what I, I focus on and I bet on. So when we started our production company, we were seeking out more opportunities. I would go out and my girlfriend's a fashion creator. So we would go to Urban Outfitters, Zara, buy clothes, shoot them and return them. And then what we would do is we would create these lookbooks and we would go to different like places like Magic Trade Show or Agenda. And we would hand these lookbooks out to brands to try and get their attention. Cold DMs, cold emails. I'm sending 25 to 50 emails a day just saying like, hey, as I kept building a catalog of brands we were working with, I would say, hey, these are the brands that we work with. 
here's what we would love to create for you. And at the time, brands didn't have established Instagram, YouTube channels. Mm. They weren't even thinking about creating digital content. So it was very difficult early on. And like within that 10 year span, it wasn't until the end where I got to work with Jordan because of my girlfriend. So they reached out to her. They wanted her to become an ambassador for Jordan. And we shot um, all of 2022. We did a lot of TikTok content for them and Instagram content as well. And then brands like Coca-Cola, which is crazy that in six months of me being a content creator, I got to work with them as well on a campaign. And this was, they were doing some augmented reality vending machine thing. But a lot of me reaching out to those brands came from cold DMs and cold emails. Do, do you think brands get it? Because we're on the phone a lot with, with brands and try to explain to them the, the space, obviously in the podcasting space, which is relatively new, but even from the YouTube standpoint of the importance of that, it's like, I'm not sure they understand completely the value of it yet. Are, are, do you do you do you see that as well? Certain brands get it. If you look at the fitness space, you look at who's disrupted it in the last five years: Gymshark, Fabletics. They're 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 taking market share from other companies who have been here for twenty plus years, and they're doing it because they're activating influencers and content creators. If you look at the fashion industry, you look at Forever Twenty One, Macy's, and so many other brands. But now you see brands like Pretty Little Thing, Fashion Nova, Shein, and they're focusing on digital creators, and that's like their main marketing driver because they know more people want to shop online. So you are seeing this digital shift, but there are a lot of old heads that work for companies that just don't get it, but they have the marketing budgets to be able to. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's really messing it up that a lot of creators don't talk about is you're not talking directly to the brand most of the time. You're going through some middle agency and brands hire out different talent agencies and different brand ad agencies. So they could be messing that relationship up with you for that brand. So what I would recommend creators to do is get on LinkedIn, pay that $70 a month. And what you do is Start connecting with all these different marketers who work at agencies. Start planting that seed. Start connecting with people who run the social media or marketing at Coca-Cola, at UGG, at, at Meta, or whatever it may be that you want to target. Reach out to them and provide some type of value. Don't go in there and just say, hey, my name's such and such. I love your product and I really want to work with you. That's not enough value because everybody is saying that same exact phrase. Go in there and try to make genuine relationships with people. We're, we're looking at the metaverse as this like big thing. We're looking at Web3 that's going to change everything. We're used to going to mixers and conferences and shaking hands and talking to people. LinkedIn is that 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 Web3 conference. You just, people have to make that adjustment. And also you have to paint pictures for people, right? They have to see the value proposition of what you want to do for them. Like, hey, here's a video I created for Meta or a series I did for them. I'd love to do the same thing for you. Here's the metrics it got. Now you're answering, what is it? How can it work? Are you sure? And can you make it work? That's the whack method I learned. The whack method. Licensing your content. What's the deal with that? Licensing your content is interesting because a lot of agencies will try to hit you with the, I want to own your content exclusively. So you're seeing these clip agencies like Unilad is one of them. They didn't hit me with an exclusive. Clip agencies? Mm -hmm. What's that? So there's two different meanings of clip agencies. People talk about clip agencies and they'll go like, hey, Rashad Troy, I'd love to take all of your one hour podcasts and I'd love to make 60 second clips for you. That's one version of it. The other version of clip agencies and how I really learned about syndication too was there are people like Break.com, Worldstar, who will hit you up and they'll either pay or ask for your content for free. They'll see something go viral, like the Charlie bit my finger 
you guys know that viral mm -hmm. video on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Or any viral piece of content, like people fighting in a McDonald's or somebody like fail army, they'll hit you up and they'll go, hey, hey, such and such, um, we'd love to use your content. Here's our uh, agreement that we want you to sign. You'll miss the big keyword of exclusive in there. So now they own your content. And what's so crazy is it's similar to record labels. Whenever you use a song and you don't like get attribute it to, let's just say, Drake or something, they'll take your post down, they'll remove the song off of it, especially on YouTube, like immediately before you even press publish. So the same thing is happening now with videos. They have algorithms in place that can identify um, if you're using their content. So we talked about niche pages. People will often take a video, they'll see that it's going viral and repost it, giving zero credit to the original owner. And that can actually get your page taken down because you're now infringing on somebody's copyright. So that same viral clip that Fell Army picked up, they own the rights to that. Now they're posting it on their Facebook, they're putting it in their Facebook compilations, and they're making money off of that because Facebook's paying them for the millions of views that they're getting. And maybe they paid you 500 bucks for it. Maybe they got it for free. But the moment that I decide to post it, Fell Army will hit me with the, you're infringing on our copyright and we'll take that video off. Is there a certain amount? Because I see people posting other like clips from people's YouTube videos. That's pretty common, right? Yep. It's, uh, is there like a certain amount where you can post like five seconds or or anything? Like you're not really supposed to post any part of an interview. Like let's say Noriega does an interview with Kanye West and it goes viral, then he takes it down. But that interview is still on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um from different people, they might, you know, play 30 seconds of it and then give a commentary. That's very popular as well, like those commentary pages. They'll yep. play part of this interview and then they'll they'll talk about it. So what's the is that are you allowed to do that or you're not allowed to do that? The the legal term of that is fair use. You're allowed to talk about a video and that's about it. So like a reporter, they might say, like, hey, this video came from such and such, and they're reporting on what happened within that video. That's within the rights of fair use. Commentary. Yes. Is there a time standard on it? There is and there isn't. Like, there's that's that's a gray area, like, I feel like. And so what's not fair use is just playing a video. There's no commentary. There's nothing. It's just, mm -hmm. I'm just taking your video, repurposing it on my page. Yes. And it depends, right? Because, like, it could be a two-second clip and you think, oh, no one's going to flag me for that. But if it's Disney, best believe they're coming for you. Because they don't like anybody using their clips. So when I see people making YouTube edits and they'll take clips from like Bernie Mac or like uh, just stuff from like Django or something and they'll add it as a meme, as an edit, technically a company could reach out. Universal and Sony could be like, hey, we're going to um, remove all of your ads from it and now collect all of your ads. The monitor, mm -hmm. But that happens sometimes like when we post a video or the music is very, that's mm -hmm. very prevalent. Like you have like, even if it's a background music and it's like, they'll keep the video up. Yeah, but you can't get paid on it. Okay. Sony Music Group has rights to the, the monetization of the video. It's cold about that. There was this makeup artist. She was like the first ever makeup YouTuber influencer. Her name is Michelle Pham. And she was reposting some EDM music. The artist himself had given her like full per, like, permission to use it and whatnot. But I believe it was Universal or Sony. And they said, hey, uh, we're demonetizing it. We don't care if this guy gave you um, permission. They took her to court. It was a really big deal. She had to pay millions of dollars. Because he's the artist was signed to them. Yeah, and she was yeah. a really big deal. Like, she was getting multi-million views on all of her videos. Yikes. What, what about, and this is a, one of those fine lines, selling digital products and physical products. Because I feel like we see it all the time. And 
sometimes it feels overbearing, which would lead to me like, all right, I'm blocking this. I don't want to see this. Mm -hmm. But you do want to gauge new audiences. You want to gauge new customers. So what what are the boundaries? What are the tips for that? For for people soliciting their products or what, what was Yeah, soliciting it. Like what what rules do social media have in play or like I guess, I guess, well, guess best best practices, practices for doing it. Best so it, it doesn't feel like it's gorilla. selling your product on your page. Right. Oh. So it's like like Mon monetizing okay. that way. Yeah. Got it. Don't look at it as I want to sell directly to my audience. A lot of people do do that. They make a shit ton of money, right? They get a big bag off of that. But what's the long play for that? People are just going to look at you as this guy who's constantly trying to sell me on something. So somebody who like got into my head and like really mentored me was Gary Vee. When I looked at his way of like looking at like the long play of everything, not trying to sell people constantly on a course or an ebook, like you could put the book out and know because I put out all these hundreds of free like value, they're going to come and they're going to buy the product. But it's, it's a gray area because if you're a personal brand and you start a clothing line underneath your personal name, like if I said, I'm going to start selling Dante Catlett t-shirts, people aren't going to really buy that every time I drop. But if I started a brand underneath Dante Catlett, a totally different brand, and now I'm just wearing it organically, then they might want to mess with that brand when I'm putting stuff out. But think about the value that your, your customers are getting out of it the long-term wear because now we're looking at things and we're like we're over consumers of a lot of like goods fashion goods and whatnot so maybe now with the introduction of web3 we can now have something set up with an nft and you get the t-shirt mm. use cases what's yeah. the art the art of not saying too much the art of not saying too much so that was back to what i said about the whack method uh i forget the gentleman's name but I was doing a sales meeting and I was on the phone with this lady for like an hour long. I was trying to get her to be the sponsor for our new series. And she told me, you know what, Dante, you're a very amazing person. You're very bright. And I get what you're saying. But if I take this to my manager and try to present this, he's not going to understand it. I need you to simplify it. So I looked at it and I said, I could have just sat there and beat myself up the entire day and been like, I'm never going to be good at sales. Like, I'll never understand this. And then my girlfriend put on a podcast and it was him talking about the whack method. He's a very successful Hollywood producer who is like, has a What is the record. whack method again? So what is it? How can it work? Are you sure it can work? And can you make it work? So you go in there and you give like one or two sentences. He said, what you want to do is you write, you get post-it notes because they're not that big. Write down what it is, how, how you can make it work. Are you sure you can make it work? So do you have a track record of being able to do that? And then can you make it work? Because if you go in there and you're like, well, guess what? I have a, a TV show idea. It's kind of like um, Love Island meets Stranger Things. And now you, the producer's sitting there like, bro, like my head is seeing a million different things. And before we can even get to the point of us saying yes. So when you simplify what you're saying to people, they understand it. And that's actually helped me a lot with teaching people things. When you read headlines, it's very short and simple. You guys know the company Now This? Now this. It's like a news company on Facebook and they used to do like the text headlines. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, 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 I remember that. So that is an art in itself, being able to do that because their retention time of people watching those videos was almost 100%, I feel like, mm. because they had it down to, wait, here's a problem. Here's a solution. Here's what happened. Here's what happened next. And then like, you're just like, oh, wow, I learned a lot in that video. It was simple. Now I want to share the video. So if you can learn to say that when you're teaching people, you ask me like captions. Mm -hmm. If you, 
the art of editing is powerful too. You want to get rid of dead space. So if we're having a full interview, you might not want to keep every single segment in there. Maybe you just want to chop it up right where they said this and then they said this. So now people are consuming it and they're like, I got to go watch the rest of this. Sounds like the math, what math offered did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like you, you, you walked in and I'm watching because a lot of times we do interviews, especially when it's around somebody that's done content. They come in and as a team, you came in by yourself, you set up your camera, you were rolling. At this point, who who is the social media team for you or is it strictly solely you that's doing all those those things that you listed? Right now, it's solely me. I have my girlfriend and we help each other out. Like we'll be on behind the scenes and we're each other's directors. Where there's times where I have nobody, then that's where you just have to set up the tripod and make sure everything's focused or the lighting's good. And you learn that as you go. Now I have a manager and I didn't I didn't believe in having a manager at first, but now I have somebody who's handling my emails and all the legal stuff behind the scenes. But that was something where I had to look at. There was um, Vic Blends. He's a barber out of Atlanta. Yeah, no. yeah. Spanish guy, right? Yeah. yeah. He put out a video of metaphor. He said, would you rather have 100% of a grape or 50% of a watermelon if you were hungry? I said, damn, everybody got to eat. So it's like, if I have 50% of a watermelon, that's more than 100% of a grape. Mm -hmm. So I kind of flipped a switch in my head where I had to think about a manager and how they could be beneficial to my brand and what I want to do. Because I got to the point where I was overwhelmed with emails and responding. And I f felt like I had whole days of me just building out media kits, reading reading um, through legal and responding to emails. And it was hindering me from moving forward onto other projects. So I got to that point where I was like, I do need to bring somebody else on the team. I would love to get to the point where I can have an editor because I feel like that's another place where I'm spending a ton of time. Delegating is something that is very crucial for creators and entrepreneurs to learn. And you really do have to learn to trust people. And unfortunately, you will fail in doing so, but you'll learn a lot. No, that's a fact. Um, so what's next for you? What's, uh, what's on the horizon? What do you have planned? 2023, I definitely want to do more speaking engagements, love to host some workshops, educational workshops. A lot of people have been asking me, hey, I want to learn from you in person, like whether it's social media or you teach us an entire sequence of editing. So with those brands that I am partnered with, I do want to be able to have them put together for the venue and, and all of that. So I don't have any expenses to deal with. Don't, don't, Continually don't. putting out content and just growing and see what the rest of the year has in store for me. Sky's the limit. Yeah. This this it's the second month of the year, and I'm I'm here at EYL. So yeah. for anybody who has that on their their vision board or they're manifesting that, it can happen. Yeah, we always say that. Learn a skill. That way, you, you you'll always be able to do something mm -hmm. that somebody else can't. That's right. And you've got a skill, especially with the content creation, but even in the edit editing side, that can go across multiple things. Yeah, something I had to learn was to hop out of the rat race. Because you get caught up with the day-to-days and you look back at all the time you've spent. You said, what am I doing this for? I want to put on for my family. I want to spend more time with them. But did you spend time with them in those last 10 years? How many like Christmases did you miss out on because you were upstairs editing a video or posting something on social because you had to get up? So now I'm more about just living in the moment because I had a vision of like, ah, oh, being a billionaire would be cool. Then I looked at billionaires and I'm like, mm, I don't know if I want all that. Then I was like, being a multimillionaire would be dope. It's like, you can definitely get there, but there's a lot of stress and a lot more that you use on your plate when you do get to that level. And you have time, you don't have enough time. And for anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur or creator, you have to find your purpose. And for me, it was like, I did research about my great grandmothers. There was seven of them. 
one of which lived until 105, one passed away in 95, but you gotta imagine they were born at the turn of the century. The things that they seen, and they were all artists. So I come from a family of artists and what I learned from them was patience. They didn't get recognized and put into these prestigious places like the MoMA and um, what's the other, the big uh, museum in New York, the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm until they were 65 years old. But all of the activism that they had to do to get there, she worked with Thurgood Marshall. She was the first, one of the first women to graduate from the University of Iowa with a uh, master's in fine art. She went to Howard University. And um, I started learning about all the things that she was doing. She worked with the Black Panthers. The US unfortunately did not grant her citizenship to stay no longer in the US. So she had to move to Mexico where she taught women. And the biggest thing was like, people often say, oh, well, why do you support museums? Like, there's not a lot of black art in there or whatever, it's, it doesn't represent us, but they broke down those barriers for African-Americans and women to get into these prestigious places. That's powerful. That's powerful, yeah. man. So that's the purpose. A lot of great insight, a lot of gems dropped on a variety of different topics. Appreciate you for coming. Um, how can they follow you on social media and, TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff. You guys can find me everywhere at Dante Catlett on all social media platforms. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Troy, housekeeping items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Shout out to all our earners on Earn Your Leisure University, the number one place for everything in the world of business, man. Shout out to all the earners there. Uh, education has been premium and the level of connection that, that we've been able to have as a group has been amazing so shout out to all y'all and shout out to everybody supporting the merch uh shotty got some some exclusive merch on uh so one of one piece we like to call that one of none awesome. one of none so shout out to everybody supporting the merch shout out to our boy mike b boys and making sure we look good and uh shout out to you dante a lot of stuff was shared today that i'm sure it'll be beneficial for the people appreciate you guys having me you're listening to earn your leisure with troy and rashad <laughs> 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 That's it. That's how we're going to end it. <laughs> Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.